Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello and welcome folks to a special edition of uh, Two Bulls in a China Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Dan. With, with me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I was doing great until the market opened, but, you know, we'll talk about that <laughs> another day. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Oh, that tricky market. With us today, we're very excited. We have a special guest, uh, Nick McCollum uh, with uh, Passive.com. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you guys today. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit, Give kind of give us an overview. What, what do you guys do over there at Passive? I think the best way to understand what we do at Passive is to understand, I guess, the problem that we're trying to solve. So lots of investors have target allocations that they want to be in, whether it's something as simple as like 50% one fund, 50% another fund, or something even as complex as like, you know, 500 different stocks across different industries and stock exchanges with you know, certain allocations to each of them. So the way a lot of investors kind of manage that is just with spreadsheets. So they have spreadsheets to say what they want to own and what they actually own. And they can kind of like do the calculations in the spreadsheet to determine what trades they need to make. And uh, that's kind of, you know, spreadsheets are one way to solve that problem, but it's not ideal because you still have to go into your brokerage account and type in all the trades manually and execute the trades one by one. So it's pretty like labor intensive, I guess. So Passive was designed to solve that problem. One of our co-founders, Brendan, who is a software developer by trade, he was trying to manage his retirement account, his wife's retirement account, and then a couple 529 plans for his kids. And kind of tracking all that in a spreadsheet got really cumbersome. So what he did was he built a, Python script that connected directly to his brokerage account, read what was in his account, compared it to the stuff that he wanted to own, and told him what trades that he should make. So that was like the initial prototype of Passive. The way pa Passive works now is you pair Passive to your brokerage account, you set a target portfolio, and then Passive takes care of all of the sophisticated calculations to figure out what trades you need to make to get invested in your target portfolio. Once that's done, Passive allows you to rebalance with a one-click trade, and then we send you notifications whenever it's time to log in and rebalance again because your portfolio has drifted in some way. Hey, that's pretty cool, actually. So, like, we can build our own ETFs, really, if we wanted to. Like, uh, we, we try to keep a Friday pick em, uh, uh going at financial ineptitude. And Dan and I talked previously about trying to turn that into kind of like a fun for us just to see how we do, like, compared to, you know, other guys. So we could actually just plug in those stocks individually and create our own fund and then have it, you know, like a set amount that we want to invest into it and it would uh, 
balance it for us, actually execute the trades too? Yeah, exactly. So passive doesn't automatically execute your trades, but what we do instead is we just like present them for you as a preview and you would just hit trade. So that kind of difference between automated trading versus like you having to confirm the trade versus kind of like a subtle difference. But yeah, essentially you could say you have your portfolio, put money into that account every week or every month or bi-weekly or what have you. And then we would send you emails whenever it's time to log in and rebalance. So, so when, when, uh, when we're talking about rebalancing, uh, I, I personally, I do like to trade a lot of ETFs long-term and, uh, I believe what, what you're describing, just, just to be clear, like if I, if I were to say, like, I pick three ETFs, like a, oh, I got a pot stock ETF and I got an electric vehicle ETF and then I've got a solar energy ETF and that month solar energy does really way better than the others and now i'm not balanced anymore i've got more of my value in solar energy so what passive is doing is with like what you're from what i'm understanding is i put my money into my brokerage account and passive will automatically figure out where to put what to get it rebalanced exactly yeah so most of our investors i would say are kind of in the accumulation stage which means that they're still contributing money their brokerage account on a regular basis right. and passive is ideal for them because it tells them where they need to put those funds like what assets they're underweight in relative to their targets and those sorts of things so it helps them figure out where they need to allocate their cash to to stay as close as possible to a balanced portfolio now can you also uh like um let's see how to word this uh like if you want certain industries or can you look and see like if you've got too much in uh like growth stocks or and you want to put more into dividend typed ones like will it Will it also kind of give you that kind of feedback too? Like, hey, you're kind of balanced too much in one sector? We don't do the categorizations based on the securities that are in your account, but if you did have like a dividend ETF and you wanted to compare that to where you want that dividend ETF to be, you could do that comparison in the passive dashboard for sure. So it sounds like you have a lot more freedom of what you're, what you're investing in with this. Then you get to pick everything that you want in there and then you can just use passive to kind of spread it out for you to minimize your risk and exposure to any one sector. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned customization. A lot of people compare us to robo-advisors or, or some other kind of more automated investing solutions. But I would say one of the key differences between us and a robo-advisor is how customizable we are. Robo-advisors generally have like a few cookie cutter portfolios that you can pick from with not much leeway in between them. With Passive, you can actually build a really customizable portfolio from scratch and then configure your settings within the Passive dashboard so that it gets rebalanced exactly how you want it to. That's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, we've got a couple other cool features that a lot of people like as well. Like one thing that a lot of our power users seem to enjoy is that you can actually pair Passive to multiple brokerages at once. So let's say, for example, if you had investments at TD Ameritrade and you also had investments at Interactive Brokers, and you wanted one dashboard where you could manage all of your investments in one place, all you would have to do is just connect your passive account to both of those accounts and you could do all your trading in one spot. Wow. Uh, what are all of the brokerages passive currently connects to and are they expanding into all of them? Yeah, so I'll start by just saying we're kind of always aggressively trying to expand our brokerage integrations. Any broker that has an open API is someone we'd love to work with. Uh, we actually think, you know, brokerages that don't have open APIs kind of doing a disservice to the customer because it puts up a barrier for their user's ability to kind of get access to innovative new tools like Passage. So uh, to the extent someone has an open API, we're already probably working on integrating with them. Uh, so our main integrations, we have, I guess, I think five main ones. So up here in Canada, we have Quest Trade. Down in the US, we have 
TD Ameritrade, Interactive Brokers, Tradier, and Alpaca. And uh, we've got you know more coming down the pipeline this year for sure. Uh, I did see the in the news uh, not too long ago that you guys had recently partnered with um, I can't remember the name of the company. Uh, it was a Canadian brokerage firm, Questrade. Okay, uh, it said that that was an exclusive agreement. Now, what is that? That doesn't mean that you're not still available with other brokerages, right? Yeah, that's a sorry. Just to be specific, that's exclusive in Canada. So basically, Questrade, okay, uh, kind of supported us in Canada, and we we signed an agreement with them, said we wouldn't support other Canadian brokerages, but. Now we're doing a big international push in the U.S. and elsewhere. Because I did see that you mentioned TD Ameritrade. I saw that you guys were integrated with them. Are there any other big name brokerages that you guys are integrated with or working towards? Yeah, there are four in the states that we're partnered with. TD Ameritrade is the biggest one, and then Interactive Brokers, and then two up and coming brokerages called uh, Tradier and Alpaca. Both of those brokerages are more geared towards software developers and, and kind of programmatic trading shops. But the big kind of retail names we have right now are Interactive Brokers and Ameritrade. We're working on integrations with lots of other places right now, but that's kind of still, I guess, in, in, pri in private talks right now. What do you got, Dan? Anything else for uh, Passive? <laughs> uh, it, it, it sounds like a wonderful product. How long have you guys uh, been out there helping people uh, with their with their long-term assets? Passive's been, uh, I guess we were founded in September of 2017, so we're coming up on four years, I guess, which is exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how did you get involved with Passive? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story, but so when I was in college, I, um, I won a scholarship and part of that scholarship was kind of like you get access to this alumni network of all of the people who had previously won that scholarship. So mm -hmm. one of the co-founders of Passive, Brendan Wood, was part of that alumni network. So I met him through that. We had a lot of common interests, including finance and investing and software development. So we, uh, we kind of stayed in touch along the way and, and last in the middle of I guess in tw late 2019, when I was like looking for other opportunities, we kind of thought it would be good for us to kind of team up and join the passive team then. What did you go to school for? Uh, uh, coding or finance? Uh, neither, actually. I did, I did a degree in pure mathematics, and it turns out that a lot of the good internships and jobs <laughs> for, for math nerds are in finance. So I basically did my math degree when I worked in finance, and then when I was working in finance, I kind of saw the benefits of teaching yourself how to code and try to be able to like automate away a lot of the spreadsheet work that kind of is natural to a financial job. So that's kind of the journey in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> so how'd you get involved? Was that how you got involved in the uh, stock market in general then was through your uh, education or were you uh, curious about it beforehand? Uh, I was always pretty entrepreneurial, I would say, and always looking for a way to make a, another buck, you know, but when I was in college, after I switched into my math degree, I got an internship with uh, TD Mutual Funds, which is like, you know, the mutual fund arm of TD Ameritrade and that whole financial group. So that was really cool because I kind of got to see in one building a lot of different investment strategies being executed. So they had like a fundamental equities group. They had an algorithmic equities group. They had bonds. They had derivatives. They had synthetics. They had all kinds of different investment strategies. And a big focus of that internship product was, or uh, not internship product, that internship program was mentorship. So mm -hmm. I could basically, with one email, talk to an expert in lots of different types of fields of investing. So I learned a lot that summer, and that really kind of solidified my interest in investing and my desire to work in that field, I guess, for the rest of my life. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm very interested to learn, how did you guys hear about our show? I use a podcast aggregator called Listen Notes, which kind of just find new podcasts and, and kind of curate stuff that way. So we find you guys on there. Right. Hopefully you're telling all your friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to say, I'm the most excited when you when you reached out to us. Um, 
I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about uh, ETFs. Uh, something something you mentioned mentioned in your in initial email. Uh, how long have you been playing around with ETFs? I've always been kind of interested in like public market security stocks, bonds, ETFs, and my first job out of college was with like a really active fundamental research firm down in Houston, Texas. So uh, we were I was there doing like deep dives on on stocks all the time. Uh, you know, reading annual reports, reading quarterly reports, trying to study you know what the management team are like identifying competitive advantages, doing like kind of all the stuff that you're supposed to do if you're trying to be like a young Warren Buffett, I guess. So <laughs> in that stage of my life, I was really invested kind of in individual stocks, right? Like I wanted to own like the Microsoft or that, like the next Microsoft, I guess, or I wanted to own the next Tesla. It turns yeah. out at that time, I yeah. would have been okay if I just bought like the current Tesla. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's kind of what I was doing then. And then as I got really more and more interested in software, um, it really... I realized I'd rather kind of spend more time building tools and, and building software platforms and, and writing code basically than I would, um, you know, reading annual reports and doing stock research because it just, I don't know, my, my, my passion kind of is, my passion's kind of shifted, I guess. So over time, I slowly, I would say, became less of an active investor, more of a passive investor and transitioned the majority of my investment holdings into low cost, long term passive ETFs. Uh, even though our show is mostly about, you know, the opposite of that, you know, active picking, we've said many times on the show that the surest way to actually make money is doing exactly what you just said, the passive investing, picking ETFs or balanced portfolios, long term, not moving in and out. Um, Average cost, keep keep buying yeah. at regular interval intervals. We, we do it because it's fun, <laughs> but we also <laughs> separate that from our normal portfolio. Exactly. I mean, that's a really good point. So I, I kind of follow like what I would call the core and explorer approach right now. So I have like, you know, 90 or 95% of my investments in like, like I said, low cost, long term ETFs. And then that five or 10% is basically like my five money. And if, you know, if that goes to zero, I'll probably still be okay. But it is kind right. of nice to be able to express your economic opinion by owning like some individual stocks or, or what have you. And I mean, I'm just like you guys, the markets are fun. They're, they're super <laughs> interesting. Um, so to the extent that I still have time to do that stuff, I do like to pick some individual stocks, but I'm kind of past the point where I'm going to like leverage up my margin account and go buy like all the yeah. Microsoft or something. Like, I don't know. Those days are gone. I've definitely tried to stay as far away from margin as I could. I actually had a small margin balance that I was carrying uh, last week and it was just stressing me out. I mean, it wasn't much, but I was like, I don't even know what the fees are going to end up being. I'm like, close that out as soon as I can. <laughs> When I look back, like at some investing statements from like when I used to trade a lot more actively, man, I had like some serious cojones on me. I would like go up to like 1.8 times leverage on my margin account just Ooh. to buy like a bunch of individual stocks. And to, yeah, to, to the extent that I'm still even have like any money in my name today, a lot of that I think was just luck. So it ended up working out. I, I ended up doing that in like one of the strongest bull markets in the last 50 years or whatever. So it ended up working out well, but man. Process yeah. over outcome. That was a bad choice. I ended up being okay, but man, that, that's another thing we talk about a lot. Is is you got to separate the the process from the results. Like just because you made money on a bad move doesn't make it a good move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I personally have, and I've been saying it on the show, and and actually I've had a lot of friends, especially the bigger the show gets, friends will reach out and they'll say, oh yeah, what, what should I be buying? And I always <laughs> tell them the, the, the same thing, of like, look, don't play the game, pick pick a sector, pick a segment, an industry that you think in five, ten years is going to be bigger than it will be now, and find an ETF. 
that's all that's all you need to be doing i tell everyone buy the spider <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> just buy the market average you're fine. yeah well I, you know as the etf industry has really like matured i think there's lots of ways that you can really express an economic view without having like undue risk so for me i'm like you know just working in software working in finance and working for startups one of the big trends that I see over and over and over again is like the rise of cloud computing. So mm-hmm. instead of companies having to rack their own servers and spend a million bucks to get all this like computer hardware set up in their in their actual you know locations in their offices, they can just go rent the server from Amazon for a hundred bucks a month. There's a lot less upfront cost, and to be honest with you, the reliability of that Amazon server is probably way higher because they have you know a bunch of generators in case the power goes out. They have security guards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think cloud computing is is a big trend. But you don't have to go buy the individual cloud computing stocks to express that. There's like a SMR cloud index ETF you can go buy. There's technology ETFs you can go buy. So you can still express economic views without having to be like so concentrated in individual stocks. Right. I was to say, uh, my, my, my partner, Jen, she, uh, I was trading NEO, the, ele- the Chinese electric vehicle company, and I was talking about them all week. Uh, that week, this was a while ago. Uh, and and so she was asking like should should i invest in electric vehicles like neo seems to be working pretty good for you but uh, yeah i steered her towards the three etfs that i found pretty quickly with uh, through ameritrade uh, and and uh it's it's definitely worked out but way better for her than my neo <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the one that she bought has maybe three percent of their holdings in neo so it's it's not like she doesn't get to see a, a taste of the the neo right. rise but she also doesn't have that hurt when they go down all week after neo day yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you heard it oh go ahead nick sorry i was gonna ask if you heard any of the news about the uh virgin galactic uh not virgin Galactic. i'm sorry the space exploration etf that they're looking at starting up yeah so i saw some news about that um, I didn't really get too much of the information. The only thing that I really took away was that it sent Virgin Galactic shares like through the roof. So what's the scoop there? <laughs> uh, I'm, I was just curious if you knew more because you were kind of more into the ETS. But basically, it sounded like one of the old Tesla investors is uh, talking about starting one up. I don't think anything is a done deal yet. But yeah, it definitely uh, spiked my Virgin Galactic shares. <laughs> Wasn't it one of those uh, holding companies? He's going to take, is it a SPAC or what are they called? One of those special acquisition companies? Yeah, he's talking about taking a special acquisition company and turning it into an ETF. That's that's what I thought I read. Is this the ARC? Uh, the ARC in yes. space? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I do know a bit about this firm. They're, like, I would say widely considered to be, like, the most innovative ETF issuer out there right now. And they've had, like, pretty insane growth. I talk to people all the time about ETFs and, like, what's going on in the ETF world. And this firm just comes up over and over again because they're going gangbusters right now, like, I saw a statistic on Twitter yesterday, or maybe today, that said that ARC ETFs, or ARC Invest, which is like the firm that issues these Mm -hmm. these ETFs, ARC Invest's year-to-date inflows are higher than BlackRock's. And BlackRock has like a trillion or two trillion dollars of AUM. ARC Invest might have like 20 or 30 or 50. I don't know how much they have, but it's like, you know, the the, the mouse is outlifting the elephant right now. It's kind of insane. And they uh, they actively manage too, right? They're not uh, they're not passive. They don't just buy it and hold it. They they're they actively uh, trade their ETFs, right? Or actively manage. The way that ETFs are set up right now, it's kind of weird because every ETF has to have an index that they're benchmarked to. So right. they're still quote unquote passive to the extent that they are indexed to like that they track an index. 
But mm. what what they do to get around that is that they just change what's in the index. Like the committee just oh. changes the index and then they <laughs> change it. So yeah, there, there's some new stuff coming down like the regulatory pipeline surrounding that, but that's kind of the way that, that they are actively managed. But from a legal perspective, they would say that they're passively managed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> they're actively manage, managing how their passive positions are from day to yes. day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, right? Because that kind of reminds me, like, people talk about ETFs as a passive investment vehicle, but I know lots of guys who day trade ETFs. That's not passive, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing options on some ETFs right now as we speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you a passive options investor? I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm an angry options investor. <laughs> uh, I want to know more about, I was browsing through your website, Nick, uh, at nickmccollum.com. And I saw that you had some free classes on there on Python trading. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the algorithmic training class you have on there? I hadn't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm planning on, on looking through it. Like, what kind of stuff can you do with Python? Like, how can that help you take your trading to the next level? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, one a great example is Passive is built primarily, like, using the Python programming language. So that's, like, one mm -hmm. kind of great case study. More broadly, I would say like to the extent that I've been able to do anything like interesting or cool in my career, uh, it's been largely because of my ability to pair like software with finance. So I kind of have a big passion for trying to educate people to the extent that I have time to do that and, and resources to do that. So that's kind of the purpose of that website. I want to make software development accessible for everybody. So that website's just to teach people a thing or two that I've learned along the way. Specifically with respect to that algorithmic trading and Python course, I built that course in collaboration with Free Code Camp, which is a 501c3 non-for-profit that teaches people how to code for free. Um, the fact that I partnered with them to this day is like still pretty surreal because I learned how to code on Free Code Camp like back in the day. So mm -hmm. I went from being like a student to now helping them out and teaching some people. So that has like just been a really cool opportunity. I feel really fortunate and grateful for that. Um, but the way that that collaboration kind of works is I just like built this content for them. It's a, it's a five hour YouTube video course that's free for everybody forever. And uh, they, they posted it on their YouTube channel, which is great because I think the Free Code Camp YouTube channel just passed three million subscribers. So I get mm -hmm. to build the content and they kind of give me the distribution for it. And hopefully lots of people get the benefit along the way. In terms of what's actually in the course, it's focused on three, three different projects, I guess. I'm a big fan of project-based learning. So mm -hmm. the first project basically like shows you how to build an equal weight S&P 500 index fund. The second project shows you how to manage like a quantitative momentum strategy. So basically filters for the highest momentum stocks in the S&P 500 and then trade them. And the, the third strategy is a quantitative value strategy. So in that strategy, you basically uh, you filter stocks based on five popular value investing metrics. You take like mm -hmm. a composite value of those five metrics and try to select like old overall the cheapest stocks based on that. So the five metrics that we use uh, from memory, these might be a little off, but I think it's price to earnings, price to book, dividend yield, uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, and enterprise value to free cash flow, I think are the five that we use for that project. So that's kind of like the 30,000 foot overview of what's in the course. I'm happy to answer any more specific questions you have if that's helpful. I think Dan's eyes just lit up as soon as you started talking about momentum investing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely like to try and find a rocket ship on its way up. Do a stock screener every day of all the stocks that have hit a new 52-week high 
and then I keep track of all the ones that uh, have consecutive days to trying to to, to catch, catch the ones that keep going. Right. Because eventually, what do you use? Uh, what do you use for your screening tools? I am using Ameritrade, and then I use a spreadsheet. So I would really love to write a <laughs> Python script to automate all that for me. Yeah. So in that course, I use a an API provider called IEX Cloud. I don't know if you guys ever read the book Flash Boys, but IEX is kind of the the stock exchange that was built based on like the problems identified in that Flash Boys book. So. It's kind of a book that discusses like all of the problems with the current stock exchange system and how it kind of enables high frequency traders to take advantage of mom and pop retail investors. So IEX, IEX is a stock exchange kind of that has a, a bit of different protocols in terms of stock trading that tries to prevent that. And then IEX Cloud is the data provider of IEX. So IEX Cloud has an API that you connect with a Python script and pull like high fidelity financial data from it pretty easily. So if I have no experience in, sorry to go back to the the uh, a step there just popped into my head. If I have no experience with Python, um, by watching that YouTube video, like will that take me from like the very basics into actually completing one of these projects, or do I need some building blocks to lead up to that or to get to that point? Like, can you be a complete? Okay, <laughs> so you can't. That's not for complete beginners necessarily. No, I will say though that like. I have courses on beginner Python on my website that you can take and free code mm-hmm. also has lots of like beginner Python resources as well. Um, I think if you just go on the free code camp YouTube channel and put like beginner Python, they have a, a video that has, I think 13 million views on Python programming. That would probably be a good place for you to start. What programming languages does Python most resemble? That's a great question. I think Python probably, well, I guess with the caveat that I'm probably not the best guy to answer this question because I'm really only focused <laughs> on Python and JavaScript, but I think okay. Python is fairly similar to uh, Go, and I think it's fairly similar to Ruby. But that's just from things that I've read. I've never actually coded in Ruby or Go, so take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Yeah, because uh, Kyle and I actually met uh, in a programming class in high school. So we yeah, C++ and Turbo Pascal, all the really old ones that probably don't get used as much anymore. There's a lot of stuff that's very similar to C++, so that kind of helps a little bit. Yeah, well, C++, I mean, a lot of a lot of Python packages, well, not a lot, but like there are Python packages that are written in C++, so basically, like, you get this package in Python, it has some functionality, but when you use the functionality from that package, that code actually runs in C++, not in Python. And the reason why that is, is just because C++ is like a much faster programming language than Python. So there's packages that are kind of meant for like high performance computing where they are technically a Python package, but when the code actually runs, it's executed in C++. I think the next thing to do is to pose a bet with our guest. Ooh, guest bet. What, what do you say, Nick? You uh, you willing to pick a stock against us? Uh, one week uh, is what we typically run, but we're uh, amenable to changing those conditions if you want to try to go a little longer. And then we got to figure out some consequences too. And Dan and I have been talking a little bit beforehand. We got some good ideas, but if you want to propose something too, yeah, let me just give me a second to take a look at something. I have an idea, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man of our uh, of a kindred spirit. <laughs> All right, all right. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you mine, and I'll tell you like the, the thesis for, for kind of why I picked it, if that's okay. Okay. So I'm going to pick Visa, and the reason I'm picking Visa is because they were set to acquire Plaid. Yes. Um, Plaid is like a financial integration provider that I follow pretty closely because there's certain things about their business model that is like similar to Passive, so I kind of like, you know, keep, keep a finger on the pulse there, I suppose. Um, but that merger agreement with Plaid kind of fell through earlier this week, so Visa's stock fell, I guess, 5% or so. Now, I know the whole market's down, so it's hard to say like how much of that fall is from 
from you know the cloud acquisition not happening versus what else it could be. But uh, that was definitely bad news for Visa stock because when they took Plaid out at $5 billion, I think pretty much anyone would say that Plaid's probably worth a lot more than that. So they kind of stole Plaid and then they just canceled the, the merger agreement. So that's kind of like one good thing that they did that's no longer available. But, uh, you know, it's uh, something that I am aware of, I suppose. I like that because uh, I've also been reading a lot of uh, bullish opinions on just the, the credit markets in, uh, in general, like things like Equifax and... Uh, some of the other lending institutions and even uh, insurance-based ones are probably going to be seeing some good rebounds here in the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think credit card volumes in general are kind of surging because of coronavirus. Less people are using oh, cash, for sure. right? Yeah. They have earnings coming up? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I don't follow the earnings calendar too closely anymore, so I might... Oh, no. 28th. <laughs> yeah, you get burned enough on that. 28th, yeah. Oh, do they really? Oh, man. We have to step our game up here, Dan. Well, which uh, I'll let you make the ultimate decision. We did talk about uh, our options uh, on, on what we could pick. I'm still really liking Virgin Galactic, but I'm also afraid that, uh, I mean, nothing's really for sure yet coming out on that news on that ETF. Um, so that kind of leads me away from that one. Uh, we both like Bank of America. We both have positions in that one. I kind of feel like we might as well just run with where we got our money right now, Dan. Bank of America, the... I've also I'm in the MJ MJ ETF so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think Bank of America. I think we go. Right. We stick yep. with our Bank, guns. Bank of America. We're doing we're doing uh, finance versus finance. Yep. <laughs> BAC has earnings on Tuesday morning. We were expecting to see them jump with J.P. Morgan's earnings that just came out, but uh, everything's kind of taking a hit today, as you J. mentioned. J.P. Morgan didn't even jump on their <laughs> earnings know. feed, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this might be a delayed reaction to them. That's what I'm hoping. All right, what, are, what about consequences? You want to hear what we're, we're thinking, uh, Nick? All right, what about uh, Loser has to promote the other guy's uh, uh, product for you know a couple weeks or a month? What do you have for a product, I guess? No, no, pro- just the channel, just the show. It's a pod, okay. Yeah. And then if if we miss, we'll read, we can read a script that you uh, you give us for, for passive and try to direct listeners to it. All right, yeah, I'll take it. Sweet. Yeah? Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So promotions <laughs> for, free promotion for a month, we'll say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do maybe like, uh, I'll, I'll send you four things on my Twitter and you guys do, I guess, four mentions, four for four, okay? Uh, yeah, that'd be perfect. Uh, but we'll probably actually do. We wouldn't mind reading and talking about it on the show. Even sounds like you guys got big future with the uh, passive. It sounds like you got a lot of momentum going with it. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, it's been great having you, Nick, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch about that bet, and uh, we'll we'll see about maybe having you back on again in the future. All right. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. We become expert passive users. <laughs> For sure. Maybe what we can do is you guys try. We can do a Q and A episode. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Give us sounds a good. few weeks to test it out and see how it works. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Take care, Nick. All right. Cheers. Right. Thanks, Nick.
Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.